Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. And as you know, we're in the book of Job and this evening we're going to look at Job chapter 25. Job 25. Then Bildad, the Shuite, replied, Domination and all belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. Can his forces be numbered? Upon whom does his light not shine? How then can a man be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? If even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less than man who is but a maggot, a son of man who is only a worm? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few verses that we've read in your presence now, and we ask that you will just lead us through them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might understand what is being said, and we might apply it to our own daily lives as we walk forward in your name. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a short passage um, in Joel 25. Eliphaz and Zophar have said all that they intended to say. Now Bildad will make his final speech. I say final speech, but it's more of a short summary of what all three friends have been saying, which is that Job is suffering at the hand of God because of some unconfessed sin in his life. It must be said that All three of them have said a lot of things that are theologically true, but their application has been inappropriate, as it cannot be applied to Job in his present situation. In fact, their words are deeply offensive to Job, and it exposes their lack of understanding of what is really happening here. You know, this can be a warning to us all that even with the best of intentions, we can all make assumptions that lead us to do more harm than good. All three of Job's friends, by not understanding what is happening to Job, bend what they know about God as they try to make their knowledge of God fit into what is their conclusions. All three of Job's friends agree with each other, and in his summary, Bildad speaks for them He speaks for them all as he asks a number of what are rhetorical questions about God. And he does this so that he can present them as evidence that they are right and that Job, by protesting his innocence, is wrong. Now, it seems that they've run out of things to say, but one of them must say something. So Bildad steps up to round things off. And he does it with just a few words as few words as possible, words that imply that they have been right all along and that Job is the one who is wrong. It seems that they are determined to end the discussion by getting in the last word. And I'm sure that we have all experienced this at some time or other. You know, none of us likes to be proven wrong. So, Let us have a look at what Bildad has to say in his attempt to get the last word in. Now, verses 1 and 2, what I've titled these is that we're looking here at the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. So in these first two verses, listen to what Bildad says. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, Dominion and all belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of heaven. You know, this is true. They all know that this is true, as we do. And our attitude towards God should be one of awesome fear. 
And Bildad is saying, come on, Job. You're not showing any respect to God by the things that you've been saying. You know that God is sovereign and that God's will is always done in heaven. So bow to his will and repent. The truth is that Job does fear God. And the truth is that he's bowing down to God's will. We know this because God has said of him, and we read this in the first chapter in verse 8, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. You know, when we come to the New Testament, we are taught in the Lord's Prayer to pray. Part of that prayer is that we will pray that God's will might be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. Which means that we should pray that as the sovereignty of God is seen in heaven, so the sovereignty of God should be seen by all on earth. This is a reminder of one of the Proverbs that tells us that this is a wise thing to do. It's Proverbs 1 and it's found in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here on earth, the truth is there are those who despise God. And Bildad's words are implying in a veiled way that Job's suffering is evidence that he has not feared God and that his attitude towards God tells them that he is one of those who despises God. Now, just for a few moments, let's consider this subject of the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord is recognition of the sovereignty of God. The fear of the Lord should not cause us to run away from him, but to bow down before him. Let me just repeat that. The fear of the Lord should be that which causes us to bow before God and not to be afraid and run away. I was thinking really of uh, one of the um, passages in the New Testament. It's the time when um, the disciples were in the boat and they had a miraculous catch of fish and Jesus was with them. He advised them what to do. And it's in Luke chapter 5 and this is what we read in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. You see, when they saw that Jesus had the authority, an authority that only God could have, they saw themselves in the light of this as guilty sinners, and they were afraid. They were afraid to be in the presence of God. But as we read on, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boat up on the shore and left everything and followed him. You see, by the love and compassion that Jesus had for them, the fear of a reproach from the Lord was turned into a reverent fear for the Lord. And the result was for them to love the Lord and to go on and serve the Lord. So back to Job. Job is fearing God, and he's not running away from God. He's running 
to God. And he's looking for one who will be his, his, his spokesperson, his mediator, who will present his case to God with the hope of him being vindicated. Now let's think about that word, vindicated. Only the one who is wrongly accused can be vindicated. That is, to be proved right, or in other words, to be justified. And this is the state of a sinner who is saved by grace as they stand before the Lord. They stand justified. Now Bildad is saying to Job in verses 3 to 5, How can you dare to think that you, Job, are justified? Job, how can you keep saying that you stand before God as a justified sinner? Well, listen to the words of Bildad in verse 3. Can his forces be numbered on whom does his light not rise? See, he's speaking about God. He's saying his power is beyond understanding. And he can see everything. And Bildad is saying, look, we all agree with this. This is true. Then he goes on in verse 4. How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? He's saying, think about this, Job. You seem to be hiding something from us, but you can't hide it from God. And we know what it is that you're trying to hide. And we know that you have no hope of vindication. Look at the position you're in. And we know from what we can see that God is punishing you. And it must be for something that you've done wrong. Bildad will now recall some of the things that have already been said in the discussion that have been exchanged between them. Listen to what Eliphaz said in Job chapter 4 and verse 17. He said, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can even a strong man be more pure than his maker? You know, Bildad here is almost quoting the words of Eliphaz uh, word by word. And then, if we again listen to something that Eliphaz has said, he also said this in Job chapter 15, verse 14 through to 16. What are mortals that they could be pure? Or those born of woman, they could be righteous. If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in, in his eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt, who drink the evil, drink up evil like water. You see, Bildad refers to something that Eliphaz has said. Now he's going to refer to something that he had previously said to Job. And we can find that in Job chapter 8, at verse uh, 22 to 22. Well, let's just look at the first part of that passage. Bildad said to Job, Surely, good, surely God does not reject one who is blameless or strengthen the hands of evildoers. Now, on this occasion, we have Job's answer, and this is what he says in the following verse. Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Now, from this conversation, Bildad is assuming that Job agrees with him, that he agrees that mortals cannot be righteous in the presence of God. But Job knows that Man can be made righteous, therefore they can stand in the presence of God. He doesn't know how, but his hope is in 
one who will be able to be the one who will be a mediator who will present him before God and who can present those sins who have been righteous to God as being righteous in his presence. Now we know that Job is right and we know that his hope is a certain hope. Now we know this and we know uh, what Timothy says is true in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. Or what Paul says to Timothy. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. But let's just think about that and as we go forward into the next few verses, verse 5 through to 6, where Bildad is speaking of the purity of God. God is pure. So verse 5. If even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, verse 6, how much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm. In other words, he's saying, Job, consider how unimportant we are in relation to his creation. In other words, Job, who do you think you are? telling us that you are innocent, insisting that God will vindicate you and announce you as being innocent. You even have the gall to tell us that God will listen to your babblings, the things that we've been hearing you say and the things that we've been hearing you as you have spoken to him. And Bildad in verse 5 and 6 is probably calling to mind something that Job said. You see, he's summarizing what's been said up to this point. And Job has said in chapter 14, verse 4, Who can bring what is pure from impure? No one. And Bildad is saying, You said it, Job. Eat your words and ask yourself, What use are you to God? Now, in light of what's being said here, let's take a, a, a brief look at a few things that tell us how important we are to God. We go right back to Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures creatures that move along the ground you see we are made in God's image that's how important we are and in Psalm 8 David speaks of how the majesty of God can be seen in all of his creation and when he comes to verse 3 and 4 in that psalm this is what he does David asks a question he's thinking about things and it results in him asking a question he says when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. Then in the next verse, he goes on to answer his question. And David says, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory and honor. There are many other passages that we can turn to in Scripture that tell us these things. But this evening, let's briefly summarize what we know from what we've read. 
First of all, let's think of what is true about what Job's friends have been saying about God because they have said a lot of true things. They've said God has all authority. They've said that God is holy. And they've emphasized that God will administer his judgment. But secondly, what is missing from all the things that Job's three friends have been saying about God? Well, what's missing is that they have left no room to show the love that God has for the sinner. The mercy that God shows to the sinner. The grace that God gives to the sinner. And his care for the saved sinner. So let's consider Job's words. Something that Job said in Job 14 verse 4 when he said, Who can bring what is pure before the impure? No one. Well, he is right. But let's go on. Isaiah 46 verse 6 backs that up. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. So who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. Then Job, in chapter 9, verse 2, asks this question. How can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Job is searching for the answers to this. And the answer is to have an advocate, to have one who will be his and our representative. And that advocate, as we've already seen, is Jesus. And then we can think of how do Job's sufferings compare to the hope that he has? Because Job is full of hope. His faith is, it might be weak, but it's still there and it's being getting stronger and stronger. So what hope does he have in his sufferings? Well, the same as ours. The same that ours will be when we are called to suffer. When we are called to suffer as one of his children, as both Job and Paul and many others have been called to suffer. So I want to finish this evening as we consider these things and take a few thoughts with us from the New Testament, again from Paul's writings, this time from Paul's uh, writer to the church at Rome, Rome, uh, chapter 8 and verse 18 through to 21. And I want us just to consider these things as I, I read them to you in the light of what we've just looked at. This is what Paul said. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See that? His glory revealed in us. That's what's happening in the life of Job. That's what can happen in our lives. Then Paul goes on. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You see, there's a coming day a life beyond this life. And then verse 20, for the creation was subject to frustration, but by its own choice, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. You see, 
creation is groaning and where people will look and say there's no hope, it's a hopeless situation. That's not true. There is hope. And as a Christian, we have that hope. The hope that Job has, the hope that Job is clinging on to. The hope that Paul had all the way through his times of trouble. And then he goes on in verse 21 of Romans 8. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. They're good words. They're encouraging words. They're strong words that we can take with us this evening. Let's just pray together. Our Father, we thank you again for the fact that we've been able to gather around your word. This very short passage that Bildad was trying to sum things up, trying to... Win the argument. But it's not about winning an argument. And there's still a lot more to be said. We will hear what Job has to say. We will hear someone else who will come in and speak their words and observe what he's been seeing and what's been going on. And then, our oh, Father, we know that you will finally speak. And we look forward to hearing that. But in the meantime, we ask that you will encourage us and that these words from the book of Job will be a challenge to us and an encouragement to us for those who are suffering and for those who seek to be comforters to those who are suffering. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.